3: Charles, what part of Detroit are you from exactly? People people in Detroit would know it as like uh, the Cass Corridor. When I first was in Detroit, I, I lived in the Cass Corridor, which used to be, if you were from Detroit, it was, it was pretty rough. It was a pretty rough part of Detroit. It's not as, since I've moved, <laughs> it's it's yeah. gotten taken over by hipsters and, you know, urban gardens and restaurants and uh gentrified to the max it does not look anything like you know when i was there it doesn't you know certainly not anything that would ever feel like home uh when i go there and then you know after a while i moved out to to the burbs so uh kind of saw both both ends of it in detroit
4: actually i i messed up i should have started this podcast with a what up though I should have started. I should have started with that. <laughs> um, but so, but, but so you you were born there, grew up there, went to Michigan State, um, and after Michigan State is when you left. Like, kind of, and I should know this. We've known each other for like twenty years. I should know your entire life story by now.
3: But kind of take me through your uh, relationship with Detroit. Yeah, no, no. I was born. I was born on the west side of the state. Yeah, so I was born. I migrated to Detroit after. So I okay. was born in the, in Grand Rapids area, um, went to Michigan State, and then moved to Detroit after, after Michigan oh, okay. State. Well, I took I took inter well like I took an internship in Flint, and then the first time I lived in Detroit, I took an internship in Detroit. Then I moved to Detroit after college. So yeah, flip flip flops. I, okay. I didn't I didn't so, I migrated okay. to Detroit. So you're more a,
4: a Michigander, right? Is, is that how you say it? you're more a Michigander than you are of Detroit. Is that fair? I'm a man of the world now. I don't even claim Michigan anymore.
3: I had to scratch Michigan off my list after a while, just to, we don't want to go down that hole, but yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 I got you. We, we just, we, we're sticking to
4: sports here, Charles. I think I know yeah, what exactly. you're talking about. We're sticking yeah, to sports.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Let's,
4: let's right. just stick to but, sports. Okay. <laughs> okay. No problem. But no, I, but the reason I'm trying to kind of like paint this picture, cause I, I feel like you grew up rooting for the lions though. Right. Is that, is yeah. that yeah. understanding correct? Yeah. yeah. So oh, you were, yeah. so tell me what, tell me what the lions meant to you and meant to your family growing up.
3: Um, you know, it was, I. I think I understand what Browns fans feel like. I can like, if I were going to put it through like a prism, it's sort of like, you you expected the worst though i grew up in the barry sanders years too that's when i that's mm-hmm. when i found like nfl football so like when i think about my childhood um rodney pete barry sanders like lomas brown yeah. um yeah these are you know benny benny blades chris spielman these were the lions that right. i grew up um, Brett Perryman. You know, yeah
4: <laughs> yeah
3: yeah later but yeah, yeah. Um, but the, those were the lions that i grew up but you know when you would hear stories in your family Right. That's how it always mm-hmm. gets handed down. It was just the uh, uh, the constant complaint of they've never had a quarterback. They're terrible. The owners are bad. They're going to let you down. Like, you know, and that's the lineage you kind of grew up with. And to me, my apex of fandom um, as a Lions fan was it, it was that, you know, 92 when they beat uh, the Dallas Cowboys and they advanced to the NFC title game only to get throttled by mark rippon and the and the mm. uh the washington the franchise yeah. washington franchise yeah uh mm. so it was <laughs> but it it was you knew growing up there and I, and by the way i grew up in that era for me was 80s pistons basketball right they were the champ it was the mm-hmm. champs and then you know rolled into the red wings so there was a lot of sports success in michigan um you know, University of Michigan uh, had had won a, a title, national title under Steve Fisher with Glenn Rice. Like there was, yep. uh, and that was plenty of success. The Fab Five. That was yeah, that was before right. the Fab Five, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there yeah. was there was a lot of sports success in Michigan. The Lions were never part of it, but you always knew, you always knew that people loved football and loved the Lions as much as they hated them. They loved them, and if there was ever success, it would so overwhelm any other kind of sports success in in Michigan and Detroit that it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be close. I mean, it would dwarf anything. And that's kind of what you're seeing right now with Detroit. Their fans are traveling. Like you watch them in Tampa and you're like, yo, there's Lions fans in Tampa right now. who are going to see this team and green Bay, you know, they, they, take over a quarter of Lambeau, you know, during that. Game. I mean, that's just, where I, that's what I
4: saw it. I was there for that Thursday night game. Yeah. And I remember talking to uh, one of the PR guys with the lions and I, and, and, and Dan Campbell was asked about it in the post game press conference uh, on that Thursday night game. And I, I observed to one of the PR guys, I was like, you know, it's crazy. Like this is how you become a national team. I, I said, how many lions fans would you say are from Michigan or were, were born into their lions fandom? Um, And he was like, probably all of them. I was Mm -hmm. like, because think about it. In that game, Lil Wayne, who, like me, is from New Orleans, Lil Wayne led the Packers out of the tunnel. Lil Wayne (laughs) is a Packers fan. Probably heard the story, many of you, but I'll repeat it in case you don't know. Lil Wayne is a Packers fan because the Packers beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 31 um, in New Orleans. And Lil Wayne's father brought home a bunch of Packers stuff from the super bowl paraphernalia and whatnot memorabilia and that's how lil wayne became a packers fan he's a diehard packers fan um and so i told the guy from the packers uh, from the the lions i beg your pardon that it's how you become a national team winning on national television in prime Mm -hmm. time um being good and now you have a generation of football fans who will grow up seeing the lions be good and Years from now, we'll say, Oh, I grew up a Lions fan because I'm, well, I'm from California, but I like Jared Goff or, you know, I like Amon Ross St. Brown and so on and so forth. So that's one. Even as a New Orleanian, though, my relationship with the Lions, a uh, couple of ways. Like you, you and I are the same age. Grew up loving Barry Sanders. Who didn't right. love Barry Sanders nationwide? So right. love Barry Sanders, love the run and shoot offense. It was Wayne Fonts in Detroit and it was. <laughs> Uh, in Houston as well. Both those teams ran that run-and-shoot offense. Um, so, you know, loved the Lions growing up uh, from afar. They weren't my primary team, but I, I, I rooted for them kind of like casually. Uh, Tecmo Super Bowl. Who didn't love playing with Barry Sanders and the Lions on Tecmo <laughs> Super Bowl? And last but not least, Beverly Hills Cop. Shout-out to Mumford oh, yeah. High School. Yeah. But <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop, like, like Eddie Murphy put the Lions, you know, and put Detroit on the map in many respects. So all of that, Charles, you know, you're a storyteller, was a prelude because I don't think there's anybody more qualified, at least in my circle, to talk about it. You just alluded to it. What this Lions renaissance means to Michigan, to Detroit, and to Lions fans to have arguably the best team in the NFC. They're in the conversation. I think Mm -hmm. prior to Sunday, you would have said it's definitely San Francisco. They lose to Cleveland. We'll get to the Browns in a second. Philadelphia defending conference champs, they lose to the Jets. We'll get to the Jets in a second. Here's here's Detroit, 4-0 on the road. uh, 3-0 on the road? Uh, 3-0 on the road. They're looking to go 4-0 on the road. 3-0 on the road. Um, And like you said, traveling. You know, got fans packing packing stadiums, representing wherever they go. Mm. Tell me more about what this means to – People like your family, that little that little fan that lives somewhere deep inside yeah. of Charles
3: Robinson, that, that, that kid that's bar- your inner child, what this means. And I can tell you um, my love for them turned into hatred because my first beat I covered was the Lions on the NFL. Mm. And they won five games over two years. It was the Morningweg-Millen era. And I learned to hate that franchise from the inside. You know, because there were, you know, just certain things about the franchise, uh, the the way business was run, ownership, all these things. And and so it was it. It was like stamped out of me, you know, covering not just because I was a journalist, but also because I, I got a chance to see how the sausage was made and why it was terrible. <laughs> you know, and so I, yeah. I departed. Once I left that beat, um, I really never came back to it until in terms of like really want you know like happy to see the success happy for my friends and family but it was it was a very specific moment so dan campbell i i knew dan campbell from a little bit from new orleans a little bit from miami and my thought process Mm -hmm. on dan was he tells a good story he's a rah-rah he gets guys fired up and then ultimately you got a coach and i feel like he he falls flat so he you know it's just a whole lot of like bluster and everybody gets excited and then it wears off and then you go back to you know you're a pumpkin again, right? The carriage vanishes. In Detroit, so he starts off in Detroit and it's, it's not it's not good. Like and and yet coming out of the first season, where I think I mean they didn't, I don't even remember how they barely won any games the first year. It was like a couple wins. And I remember mm-hmm. I was talking to uh yeah, a they had the second member. pick of the draft. Yeah. yeah, they had the second pick of the yeah, eight. That's when they took eight. So I think mm-hmm. they might have had two wins. And so I said to I said I was talking to a member of my family, and I was like, why the hell do Lions fans love this guy so much? I was like, I don't get it. I'm like, he just won two games. When when Marty Mordenweg won two games, people wanted that guy fired. Like they hated him instantly. I mean, like it just the tide turned against him so hard. I'm like, but what is it about this guy? Everybody seems to to believe in him. Everybody seems to love him. And you know what this person said to me and it, and it summed it up so perfectly. He said, because he wants to be here because he wants mm-hmm. to be in Detroit. He wants mm-hmm. to be part of Detroit. And yeah. we're so used to people shitting on Detroit. That, Detroit versus everybody. Yeah. And we're just so used to people talking trash and running Detroit down. And it's a whole, why would you want to be there? All these different things that we have this guy who's, He'll get you fired up, and he and he and he talks in a way that you kind of want to hang out with him and have a beer, invite him to the barbecue, right. like. Which and then right. he says, "I love it here. I want to be here. I want to be right. with you." And and right. you know, so this person's just like, "It's so nice to be accepted and get on board with that guy." And if he turns it in the right direction, it's going to be unbelievable. And then he did. And I remember I watched yeah. the Hard Knocks. I watched the Hard Knocks. One ass uh, chicken,
4: three toes. I was just about to say, "What? One ass chicken, three toes." (laughs) (laughs) That was the name of one of my fantasy teams one year.
3: (laughs) I I just remember I watch I'm watching Hard Knocks and I'm like, I'm not gonna get sucked in by this guy. I'm like, I'm not gonna do it. And then every week, I'm like, shit. (laughs) Like there's like I'm like, oh no. And then by the end of Hard Knocks, I remember I told Frank Schwab, who I work with at Yahoo, I was like, yeah. And I don't know. I was like, I kind of hope that they have success. You know, I'm like, I'm sort of rooting for this guy. I'm pulling for them to have success. And then it kind of dawned on me too. It'll be interesting to see how this unfolds because realistically, especially those cornerstone franchises that, that you don't need to be born into it. Okay. Lakers, Yankees, Duke, wherever, Right. um, right. You know, Packers, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you, there's a flip side of that too though. These teams that you don't have to be born into it, people find reasons to hate them, to dislike them, to, you know, to root against them. I think Detroit it's the opposite because they've never yeah. really done anything to make you hate them. Like they're not, right. really, you love Barry, right? You love, you were like, man, they're inept. Like, you know, you get your jokes right. off. You felt
4: sorry for Calvin Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. felt
3: right. You felt sorry for players who went through there and you're like, how many Hall of Fame careers are, you know, basically never going to win a Super Bowl because of this franchise. But then now when this is happening, I think people connect with Dan Campbell. When you listen to him, I think mm. he has a really diverse coaching staff. And he's like, yes. I mean, it's like, yes. it's, it's, it's all these full things. of ex players. Like yeah, and full diverse, of X yes. pla- diverse, yeah. full of X players. Like he does, he's doing all these things where you're like, "Oh shit, that's kind of the model you would like to see happen with NFL yeah. teams." He cares about guys. He he's a big dude who could whoop your ass, but he kind of cries in press conferences. There was yeah, the high school. Yeah. There was the high school shooting. You know, there mm. and and he made that a really prominent part of like talking about healing the community and made it part of like what the football fabric was. So, I think like as they have success, you will get other casual fans who look at them and mm-hmm. not root against them. They'll go, Yeah, that's kind of a fun team. You know, well, it's fun. I, I, in passing, I, well, in passing, I mentioned, you know,
4: my fantasy team name. The other part is like the proliferation and, and, and the popularity of fantasy football. They're not just winning, they're scoring right, right. points. Yeah, Jared Goff yeah. is a viable fantasy starter. David Montgomery, prior to injury, viable fantasy starter, like one of the yep. top running backs in fantasy this year. Jameer Gibbs, a top dynasty running back. Amon Ross St. Brown, Sam Laporta. Like, there are yep. guys on offense that even if you are not a diehard Lions fan, casually, you still may be invested in the Lions because, you you know, you want Ben Johnson's offense to do its thing. Um, so they go three thirteen and one in 2021. Get Aiden Hutchinson. Not, yeah. not only did... Dan Campbell win me over. Aiden Hutchinson, who I've had the pleasure to encounter a couple of times, interviewed him at the Super Bowl, ran into him before that Thursday night game against uh, the Packers early this year. When my man crushed Billy Jean, I'm like, yeah. oh, they got yeah. something. <laughs> oh, yeah. they, they, they got something. That was a surprise. <laughs> like, that was a surprise you know, I'm not going like, to lie. That that's the kind that of guy like, you build your
3: franchise around, right? <laughs> that was a that was moment. You know what? We all collectively had a moment there where we're watching and we're like, oh, no. Oh no! Don't he's not going to do this, is he? And and you know, I'm yeah. I'm just like my my face is in my hands. I'm like you're gonna yeah. you can this is your you can't do this. And then he pulled it off, and you're like, yeah. oh my leaned god! In. Ended up, yeah, yeah, leaned he leaned in. leaned all. He committed. Yeah, and he won that he team over, over in that yeah, moment. <laughs> that was it. Because you, you know, that that entire about, locker room became that, his. Yeah. They cut to that auditorium and all these dudes are like he's doing it like he's doing it like he's going yeah And it, it, <laughs> yeah, right. it really is one of those it's just to me it's it's one of those teams where they haven't done anything to make you dislike them there's a lot of reasons to like them and then as teams fall off and you and you're looking for for a good story that you know even as fans you're just looking for somebody yep. to root for like this and and i'll say i want to say something about lions fans too Another thing to me that spoke to me was when they dealt Stafford, the fans wanted him to have success. They were happy mm-hmm. when he won a Super mm-hmm. Bowl. They weren't pissed. The Lions Super
4: Bowl they, was kind of like theirs. It was like, it hey, was. you know what? This, yeah. this is how we, yeah. we get a piece of
3: this. Yeah, it absolutely. was. I it, think they, they were happy. To, no, they didn't. They did the same thing with Verlander. When Verlander got dealt mm-hmm. to the Astros and won a World Series, they were so happy for him. Mm-hmm. Like Detroit fans, they kind of know. Like once you're one of them, even if you leave, yeah. they're still like you're still one of us. And and yeah. then I think the flip side of that too, to see Jared Goff, I mean, let's be real, he got run out. Like like he and Mick, like McVay yeah. was like, I can't I can't do this with this guy. He can't change. Yeah. He, his ceiling is is this limited thing. He soured on him, and Goff goes to Detroit, and I'm like. I mean, I'm thinking he'll be in Detroit for a year. Like he's, I right. trust Sean McVay. And then all of a sudden, even, in, even going back
4: to last year's draft, people have been trying to yeah. replace Jared Goff in Detroit. Yeah. yeah.
3: And yet yeah. he's turned and, and he feels like a guy who's bought into the same, like Dan, the city. The he whole, wants to this be is, there. Yeah. I want to be here. This is my second coming here. Like I am happy. I'm a lion. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's. Uh, and again, I say, I always say this about Cleveland, like Don. My, my significant other dawn i remember when mm. we're sitting there and we're watching the cavaliers in the finals and they and they win right they win the title in the finals and dawn's sitting to the right of me i turn and i look and she's sobbing just Balling, yep. sobbing yep. as a fan and it's like
2: it so was she's such a
3: release. she's she grew up yeah in ohio she lived in cleveland yeah and she was is she, so is she she's not free right now i get i get her
4: on right now yeah both could do the podcast she oh, no, no! She yeah, no. <laughs> okay, <cool.
3: laughs> right. no, you right, never cool. bring me like, back, wanna... man. <laughs> it would be my last appearance. But, it would just be done yeah, from but this she, point on. But she was, she was overjoyed yeah. though. She was, she was just so overjoyed and crying and like, and, and you know, I, I I, I was like, you okay? And she's like, I'm just so happy. And like, and, mm-hmm. and I, and to me, I'm like, that's, that's the kinship between Detroit fans and Cleveland fans as you go through yeah. all these years of like, just being beat down constantly that once you have something to love and to, to grab onto it's, it turns out to be this great thing. And I think really that's, what's going on with Detroit fans. I think that it, it will be the biggest, no matter what happens, the the success yeah. that they have from this point on, it will overtake everything in that city, regardless of what anybody else does. I, I definitely want to get to Cleveland. That reminds me of when
4: uh, the saints won the super bowl after the '09 nine season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Miami, not at the game, but in Miami. And I cried. That was my inner child crying. That was the kid that used to rush home from church, uh, grab some Popeyes, and watch the Saints game with my grandfather and my brother and my dad yeah, and my uncle. That's and awesome. That, that, that kid was touched. Even though I stopped rooting for the Saints in 92, I still put on for my city. I still root for mm-hmm. all things New Orleans, right? Uh, and, I, and like you with Detroit and with Michigan, I know what the Saints mean to that community, just as yeah. Dawn knows what Cleveland sports means to Cleveland's community. Uh, quick uh, self-promotion, but it's not really about me. It's about the story. talked about good stories. Even Brad Holmes, general manager, uh, if you haven't already, please, if you listen to this, go and search uh, the NFL on NBC YouTube page for my interview with Brad Holmes from the combine. Brad Holmes has an incredible story uh, in terms mm-hmm. of how he rose through the ranks to become a general manager who, const- who has constructed a deep roster um that's withstanding quite a few injuries um and even another story from hard knocks and this might have been one of the best plays of sunday i know you highlighted it on your twitter account i saw it live craig reynolds craig reynolds has an amazing personal story here he is stepping in for an injured david montgomery uh cleaning carlton davis's clock unbelievable uh and and freeing up amon ross St. brown to score a touchdown at tampa 20 to 6 lions Holding the Bucks, Baker Mayfield's like I sucked. The Lions' defense got a lot to do with that. Holding the Bucks without a touchdown on the road, Lions fans taking over the, the place. Um, for years, they had style um, in the form of Barry Sanders and you know Calvin Johnson, all the numbers he was putting up. You mentioned Matthew Stafford, the run and shoot offenses uh, that I referenced from the '90s and what have, have you. Um, Wayne Fonts and those guys, um, Scott Mitchell, even you know it was just they, they were they were mm-hmm. fun. Uh, they did Jim Caldwell dirty. They had some success there and, and, and firing him, you know, they, they they probably had some karma holding him back in a year since. Um, but my point is this team, Charles, has a depth, a substance, and a toughness that is really befitting of Detroit. Like more than any yeah. Lions team that I can remember, the identity of this team feels Detroit, if that makes sense. It's gritty. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no, I don't. I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that, um, again, you know, we brought up golf, but this this I mean, there's I never would have said this about Jared Goff, but there is a little bit of grit to him, you know, like we in terms of like a guy picking himself up, right? Like mm-hmm. to me, I always thought golf was this finesse guy, and you can't do this, not particularly athletic. It's um, yeah. yeah, you know, a cow, you know, like, you know, yeah, yeah. California surfer guy, yeah, yeah, and then yet. Yeah you know gets dealt out gets disrespected right i mean basically that it was horrible the way that it ended for him in la and then he you know but he picked himself up and i think i think there's aspects of football players when you see them pick themselves up in games making mistakes but then also in their careers it's like geno smith right like all Mm -hmm. that shit for years with geno smith one of the things i've respected most about him was that dude never gave up on himself Never. Right. And then when I was like, they wrote can't. him off, but he never wrote yeah. back. <laughs> I, I, exactly. Yes. That's, that's right. I was one of the ones who wrote him off and I was like, he can't. And he was like, yeah, I can. And I'm like, all right, we'll see. And then he did, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, there are those players on that roster. And I, and it's interesting too, when you go back to what they did in the off season, you know, and they move on from Deandre Swift, right. Um, they I mean yeah. they clean out the, the entire backfield, right? And they and they go in to get yeah. David Montgomery. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, I don't I don't know what to think of this. Like, I don't know what to think of this signing. I don't like what what exactly do they think that they're setting up here? What are they getting out of this? And then when I watched them, I was like, oh no, like now I get it. They have a hard runner. A guy was gonna go in there and pound teams, and they have Jameer Gibbs as the change of pace guy, but it's a very dedicated, talented guy who's going to grind on teams when they want to grind them offensively. But as you said, it's not just that they have, uh, they throw the football, the L- Laporte. I mean, if Jamison Williams comes in and gives them Jamison Williams, even a little, a little bit of what he, he scores that touchdown this weekend. And you're like, if he can just have a couple big plays a game with that speed, yeah. he's going to affect that offense significantly. Um, yeah. Holmes is a, I mean, he's like a star in Detroit. Like it's funny because when you talk to people, like if he's out in public, people taking pictures of them, they're getting like, yeah. oh, I mean, like he is, he he has created what they love. He's one of them, and and not only that, internally, when you look at personnel wise, he didn't shy away from. They added like a lot, of, you know. John Dorsey's in there as a as you know mm-hmm. a mind they're tapping, and you know Spielman has a big voice, and always. And I thought to myself, I'm like. I don't know how this is going to work because normally general managers, they try to box out other voices. They try to make, you know, they streamline it into themselves. He did the opposite. Like he's, it is, there's a very much a community effort in there where they work together. They listen to each other. They bring a lot of that to the table. And that in and of itself is really impressive to also watch is that it's not, you don't, you don't hear ego stuff coming out of there. You don't hear, like, you know, when Spielman gets his run, you don't hear well Brad Holmes is particularly like, like it's 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 the opposite, they they actually love each other and mm. love to hold each other up. And it's I, I it's the guys oh God the- this is not I never thought I'd be gushing like about the lions ever. <laughs> I can't believe I'm actually here. I seriously like I'm listening to myself and I'm like, God, when did I get to this? When, what what happened? When did I come back?
4: <laughs> As it they're a lovable team. Uh they they seem to love one another inside that locker room and they're a lovable team, whether you are a born-and-raised diehard Lions fan or a casual fan, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to love. Before we move on, I've been teasing moving on, and maybe we should just stay in the moment. Maybe I shouldn't even ask this, just enjoy the moment. But <laughs> how far can this thing go, though? Like, again, 3-0 and on the road, mm-hmm. like withstanding injury after injury, and, and you know, next, it's very much next man up when it comes to that roster. They seem to have all the pieces – how far can it go?
3: Um, I I will so the defense is still young, right? They're still in the process of building that thing out. Okay. And so mm-hmm. to me, um, I think the fear is when you come up against a team, let's say let's say a healthy 49ers team, you know, as prolific yeah. as they can be, and the the weapons they have everywhere. Running back, tight end, multiple wide receivers, they can game plan and throw different aspects at you. Brock Purdy himself is a great player this weekend, notwithstanding. They have a um the honestly probably the best player on their roster, not named uh Nick Bosa is is Trent Williams. I mean like they it's just when you run into a team like that and it has a little bit of experience right and and has gotten knocked down and played in playoff games like to me that's when I, I I'm like you know you Detroit would really have to catch lightning in a bottle to then match up against yeah. teams with more experience and yeah. especially because that's the thing about you and I know playoff games it's just the level of how that ratchets up is so significant and Mm-hmm. Goff obviously knows it. You know there are some there are some guys on that roster that that have seen a little bit of that, especially Goff, and that's important at the quarterback spot. But I think in the NFC, I think they can hold their own now with anybody. And particularly looking yeah. at Philly and saying, okay, the Jets kind of just showed us again how to game plan for Philly and and play against Philly. And then looking at San Francisco, where you see a bunch of these injuries kind of pile up, and you're like, ooh. And, and honestly, sort of the game plan, the same thing about keeping the quarterback in the pocket, making them beat you from in the pocket, throwing the football, not letting the offense be as versatile as it can be in in Philly or San Francisco, you know, so there's there is a little bit of a game plan to help them compete against teams like that. But I'm right. a big believer in experience. And I, I still think they got to get some playoff experience before you really, I hear people saying like, hey, they're, they're potentially a Super Bowl contender in the NFC. I don't want to discount that. But I just want people to remember you yeah. you make your bones by getting in the playoffs and yeah. getting experience. Well, and Lions
4: fans I think could start to kind of let go of the inherent skepticism <laughs> that, that they often feel about teams. Yeah. This is not a pretender. This team is a legit contender. Yeah. All right, but I do want to keep with the theme, though, of perennial laughing stocks um, and, and, and just how, how lovable a couple of these teams are. These, just, just good stories, just feel-good stories. And I think, look, um, it's fair to say as we move on to the Browns, who knocked off the previously unbeaten 49ers, I don't know that there was anything lovable about them outside of Cleveland. Um, for a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people did and still feel some kind of way about the contract that they gave Deshaun Watson in order to get Deshaun Watson to agree to a trade to the Cleveland Browns, um, before last season, but here they go into San Francisco. Oh, excuse me. I'm not in against San Francisco. I beg your pardon. They were at home. And I remember I was doing a fantasy football pregame yesterday, and I got to eat it. I de- I got to eat it on this because they had the little scuffle with the Niners um, pregame. And I was like, well, that might be the most fight that the Browns put up today because I'm like, San Francisco <laughs> is this big, bad bully, and they beat up everybody. You saw what they just did to Dallas. They took Dallas' lunch money. Like, San Francisco is the Debo of the NFL. Like, that's my bite, punk. That's the 49ers. But here come the Browns, like, no, y'all ain't coming on our block and pushing us around. With PJ Walker at quarterback, again, no Nick Chubb. They've been, they've been, they have suffered some injuries themselves. I mean, you know, they, they've been beat up uh up front, you know, which is which is their bit bread and butter, right? The Cleveland Browns offensive line. They've been beat up. And again, no Deshaun Watson, who hasn't been Houston Deshaun Watson, but still like Nobody would. Nobody in their right mind gives them a chance against arguably the best team in the league with P.J. Walker at quarterback. And sure, Jake Moody missed the field goal, and, and, and we're not even having this conversation. But they won that game. And in fact, this was the most mind-blowing stat for me, Charles. The win over the 49ers was Cleveland's first win over an opponent that entered the game 5-0 or better since November 2nd, 1969. Oh, so That's they have not had a win this impressive since 1969. A regular season win like this Cleveland has not had. <laughs> um, to do it against San Francisco, to do it without Sean Watson, th- dare I say it, there's something about this Browns team that even – Cleveland fans who might be uncomfortable still with Deshaun, even though he's one of theirs now, they might be uncomfortable. Fans around the country who might be uncomfortable uh, about that situation. Even if you're not a Browns fan, how could you not cheer that victory yesterday against San Francisco, given all the odds that were stacked against them?
3: Yeah, I mean, even Craig got up, right? When he had when he had to knock evil out, he got up, right? I mean, right, that, right, that was, right. Uh, he, he got off the ground and, and that's right. basically. Grab that brick. <laughs> Grab that brick. Yeah, the brick helps. There's no doubt that yeah. brick definitely helped. I, I yep. that's the see so to me the brick is it's the Browns defensive front, right? It's that defensive line. It's the oh my I mean God. It's, it's it's Jim They're giving
4: up a thousand yards. Yeah. They're giving up a thousand
3: yards. Yeah.
4: Total. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's like think, two
3: games for the Dolphins. They give up yeah, a 1, thousand yards total. <laughs> I think at this point in the season, uh, and again this is off the top of my head, but I think it was like the third least in NFL history at this point in the season. Yes. For yes, in, in terms correct. of yardage. I yeah, and you, I, mean, I believe just, you are correct. Yeah. That's insane. And it's and the the really interesting thing about this too was so before the season kicked off, um I had a chance to talk, to, you know, I saw the Browns a couple of times like passing through camps and stuff and uh they had joint practices with Philly and when I would talk to Stefanski or uh, Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, or Andrew Barry, the GM, um, they were, they, they kept talking about the defense. They were really excited about the defense. Like they were, and it wasn't just Schwartz. Like Schwartz was a huge part of it. And, and a change that I feel like they felt like, okay, when they saw how it energized miles Garrett and brought that unit together, um, you know, I think they knew right away, man, Maybe we should make this change here earlier than we did. Whatever. At least we made it. But then there were other players, like uh, and and I and I never, by the way, and for years, I have been trying to say Okoronkwo's name, <laughs> and I always have to do it just like that. I mean, it's he, he. So, like that was an addition where they're like, "Look, nobody's talking about this, right? But mm-hmm. we think this guy is going to add depth to the front end of our defense." He's gonna he's gonna create pressure on court on the quarterback. He's gonna allow us to keep some guys fresh. He's gonna work well with Miles, you know JOK, um, mm-hmm. you know guys in the secondary. I, it just the entire unit. I think is it's that's the leadership of that team. That's as much as we want to talk about Deshaun and everything. The spine of who yeah. they are and what makes them yep. so tough. And I think what people fear it is it's definitely that defense one other thing though that blows my mind i never really thought about this but um like straight up like amari cooper was dude what a what it a was pickup. amazing what a pickup that has been you know like that was the tr- that was a fifth round pick i mean like and and it was one of those moves where when andrew Berry made it i thought to myself like man i don't know he's kind of making he's making like he's pretty his money's up there and and mm. andrew knew where the wide receiver market was going and he and i remember mm. having the conversation with him and he was like just wait like it's not it's gonna as the years move forward it's gonna look more equitable than you think it does and yeah. they got the performance out of him and now i look at the cowboys and there are times where i'm like you know they really missed that guy <laughs> like as much as like he was driving them nuts at the end and they just felt like they had to move off of him now I see moments where the Cowboys really miss him. Um, it's, I look, I give them props because when Chubb goes down to me, I'm just like, oh, right, no, right, that's the right. heart. And then when Watson has this, you know, rotator cuff issue, I was with you. I, I would have lost. If I was still in a knockout league, I would have gotten destroyed because I would not have respected Cleveland's defense as much as I should have. And I would have picked the 49ers in that game, and I would have gotten knocked out. Yep. And as I'm sure a lot of so, people did in the knockout league. <laughs> So a, couple, so a couple
4: of things. Just You you're, you were spot on, but I'll just for, – for emphasis sake. They've allowed 1,002 yards through their first five games. That's the third fewest any defense has allowed through the first five games since 1970. Only the 71 Baltimore Colts and the 70 Vikings, the freaking purple people eaters, have better marks. Um, but do you understand – I mean, and it's like I look at um, – you know, you mentioned Chubb going down and in steps Jerome Ford. They bring back Kareem Hunt, okay? Mm-hmm. P.J. Walker, well-traveled. David Njoku playing with, like, his face has been burned off, for crying out loud, and he's playing Crazy. through this, right? Um, Jim Schwartz revitalizing this defense the way he is. Like, that's a very blue-collar town. Here's a Cleveland Browns defense. That, that's, that should, that, this should be a tough team. But do you understand what I'm saying about the Deshaun of it all? And listen, like, I'm not here to relitigate that. Um, I'm just trying to account for it uh, because I, I still think that's part of the story. You know, and on one hand, I'm sure some people are like, yo, man, why are you bringing up old shit? Like, he served a suspension. Like, move on. Okay. There are other people who will never move on from those accusations. Yeah. Yeah, some people absolutely. who will never look at him or that franchise the same way. That's the deal that the, that the Browns made. But what I'm saying is in spite of how you may feel about Deshaun Watson or about the Browns by extension, there is something that everybody can root for when a team achieves. And again, it's still early. The Browns could Brown. Once upon a time, I remember asking, why must the Browns Brown so Brown all the time? We talk about the same thing with the Lions, (laughs) the history, the, 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 the inherent, the heartbreak that comes with being a Browns fan. There's still time for them to revert to their old ways but right here and now, after beating San Francisco and the way this team is hanging tough and the way this defense is playing, it's a likable team. If the if the if the Lions are lovable, the Browns are at least likable.
3: This story, right? I think Sands Deshaun because that's what I think ends up casting. It, it, here's the thing about the Browns: like pre Deshaun, when they had some success, people forget they made the playoffs with Baker Mayfield. They beat. The Pittsburgh sure Steelers did. in the playoffs with Baker Mayfield, and they sure were a good did. story. They were a lot of fun. A lot of people liked Kevin Stefanski. They liked Andrew Berry. They liked good Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, there was there was a lot to like about the organization. I think though, everything. I think the contract, and then as you said, and I know people are, you know, some people are really bringing up old shit, but the off the field mm-hmm. stuff with Deshaun, the the civil suits, all those all those things. It's that's what people are always going to see when they look at the Browns. Mm -hmm. They're always going Mm -hmm. to see it through that prism, and so that is always going to be a segment where no matter what, they don't care about anybody else on that roster. That cancels out any thought process of wanting to root for for the Cleveland Browns. But as you said, it's hard to
4: look at them as a as a David through through that prism. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: But and you and I know people in that organization. There's a lot of good people in that organization. There's a lot yeah. of like good, like, like character people in the locker right. room. Okay. And right. in the front office and in, in the, the front coaching office. Staff. Yeah. It's the coaching and, staff. And, yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah. That, another thing too, I will say, Hazlitt, the Hazlitt ownership does also take, like some people do not like the Hazlitt sure. as owners. They there's some baggage there. Yeah. There's some baggage absolutely. there too. So, um, yeah. not that, you know, I mean, not to hit the lions here, but the lions' ownership history—if you trace it far enough back—has got some pretty big baggage yeah. as well. Too. Honestly, so. let's just let's, let's just
4: as a blanket statement, pretty much any ownership group, if yeah. you really want to look yeah. into, you be like, you Fair. know what? Look, we're yeah. going to compartmentalize Fair. here. Fair. We're going to practice you, some cognitive dissonance listen. and
3: root for you in spite of ownership. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. You, you, dig, you dig deep enough in these closets, <laughs> like it's gonna it's, look.
4: Know. It's hard to be a billionaire
3: through, you know. You know,
4: proper means like so, somewhere along the line, you got some blood on, on those billions somewhere along the line. But yeah. to your point, there's some good people, uh, in the Cleveland Browns. It's a good story. That's that, that a good story. For. Yeah, it's a good story. And I agree. And I do
3: think it is a good story. It's, a, it's, it's, um, that, that game, you know, just, just to see them put it together as best they could. And again, as you said, you, one missed field goal, maybe we're having a different conversation. I guess to me, I'm more. I want to see now what do you do the next game? Like that was the thing mm-hmm. with the Lions. When the Lions started out the way that they did, most Lions fans are like, Yeah, we'll see. Like we believe, but we'll see. Like we they, you know, they're always waiting. Like, oh, what's gonna you know, when's the bad thing gonna happen? Um, you know, the Browns, I think there's that element. It's like, okay, you got yeah. this one. Now what are you gonna when's do? When's the other shoe like, gonna drop? Where, yeah. Right. Are you gonna, you know, if you lose next week, then it's just sort of like, all right, well, we're back to you know, they pulled a the rabbit out of a hat one weekend, and but I, I will say yeah. this: that defense is built to to last Oof, all season long. If nasty. they can get healthy offensively, I think you know. I by the way, running backs. Whoa. I think they're okay running back wise, but I still let's right? wait until I, uh, let's wait until October thirty first. You know, I don't know if a running back Ooh. or not. I would be, I would not be surprised though if the Browns are trade active going into the the deadline at the end of this month maybe to try get a a i would think probably a piece on offense
4: okay well speaking to get healthy what is the deal with deshaun like the the rotator cuff situation or the rotator cuff
3: that's the that's the injury correct yeah it's 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 so it's an underlying muscle i i i'm not a doctor so i'm not going to try to pronounce them the actual muscle that's being affected but um so it's uh if you listen to the twitter like there's there's a number of former physicians nfl physicians twitter doctors that you know were tied to teams or whatever so i've tried to decode this through you know Hmm. reading what they're saying about it i mean it just pretty much it affects your your arm strength your ability to be able to throw with velocity you know and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um now i've heard okay it's also a pain thing that some guys can play through the pain yeah. of this other guys can't and so to me that's the it's sort of like is this a pain threshold thing or is it he literally can't he can't throw hard Well, because like, if it's a pain if hard. it's a
4: pain thing let's let's just call it shoulder throwing shoulder if this it, if, if it's a pain threshold thing it's becomes a perception thing and leading up to this 49ers game it, it was it, it had gotten kind of funky at least from a national media standpoint and right. maybe even locally like in terms of you know well, the interpretation of Kevin Stefanski's comments vis-a-vis David Njoku versus Deshaun Watson. Was it truly an organizational collective decision for Deshaun not to play in the previous game? Or did he just decide not to play? Because he was medically cleared. But to your point, maybe it was pain, performance, we don't know. He decided not to play. Then he doesn't really answer any questions, specifics about it. Um and so there, and that, the, with that contract, is he, is he obligated to push through the pain or whatever? There's a lot. It got kind of funky. Then it was, hey, we don't know when he's going to come back, says, I right. believe, Mary Kay Cabot. I believe it was. Like, it, it could be indefinite. Then Schefter comes back, oh, as soon as week seven. So there was a lot of, like, shit <laughs> flying around when it came to Deshaun Watson and whether or not his inability to play was his choice, the organization's choice, and whether or not they were at odds. And it and it
3: there's when things like this happen, um, there's always a subtext out there. And it usually comes from inside the organization. Sometimes it's players, sometimes it's coaches, sometimes it's people in the front office, sometimes it's even ownership. Where it's a is this person like pushing themselves hard enough to play through something? And and to me, that's the morass that we're kind of in right now because it was it's all these conflicting, confusing assessments. And then, as you said, Deshaun not saying anything. We just went through this last year with Lamar Jackson. (laughs) Like, are we forgetting that? Where it was like, can he play or can't he play? Is that Why is this injury taking so long? Is that tied to the contract? Like, is there, and it was like nobody was talking. The organization wasn't saying enough. And finally, Lamar Jackson just stood up and was like, yo, here's the injury I have. Here's how mm-hmm. like I can't walk. Like, here's what's going on. And it pissed off the organization. Um, but he felt like he needed to do that. Well, maybe at some point, or either Deshaun or his representation, or some other players, or somebody's gonna feel the need to be like, listen, everybody relax. This is this is real, it's serious. We're gonna get through it. Um, I, I think if there was just a unified timetable, maybe people would yeah. feel a little bit better about this. If everybody could just get on the same page and go, Two to four weeks, right? Then you go, okay, yeah. now we know two to four weeks, we're operating under that. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right.
4: The other perennial laughing stock that I want to touch on, keeping with that theme, as I mentioned, was the Jets. All right. So the Browns knock off the Niners, the Jets knock off the Eagles. What's crazy about the Zach Wilson thing is everybody was united in their observation that Zach Wilson was not very good. Okay. Um, then I think it was the Rodney Harrison post game interview with Chris Jones, quote yeah, unquote yeah. interview that felt like it kind of, but it kind of turned the, the, the tenor of the, of the conversation to where everybody was like, Hey, leave Zach Wilson alone, leave him." But like, you know, and and, and, by, and by the way, on top of that, he had a great game against Kansas city. So he has probably his best career performance against Kansas city, Rodney yeah. Harrison piles on him post game. Now everybody's kind of like trying to defend Zach Wilson. Okay, cut two. they beat Denver, okay? And now they beat Philadelphia going into their bye week. Offense still isn't doing a lot, um, but they're, they seem to have a formula. Hey, Zach, don't screw it up too bad. Convert two third downs, that's fine, but don't screw it up too bad. Brees Hall makes some plays. Defense, even down top two corners, is going to keep us in it against Jalen Hurts and those receivers. They win the game, but maybe as if not more important as being three and three, here's Aaron Rodgers on the field throwing passes pregame. And so if you're a Jets fan right now, as tortured as your existence, your very existence has been as a Jets fan for as long as you can remember. And there was probably no harder gut punch that I can recall in football history than Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles four snaps into the most hyped Jets season uh, (laughs) that we can remember. How good must you feel as a Jets fan? Not just about the prospects of keeping the ship afloat until maybe miraculously your captain can come back, but just, yo, this team fights. This team claws, much like the Browns, much like the Lions, like it's just a team we can love. It's a team we can root for because they have they haven't thrown in the towel. They're still fighting and they're
3: still beating teams with Zach Freaking Wilson. I mean, okay, we can there's a couple of things we could just go ahead and take it off the plate. Like the defense is fine. Okay. Like they're down a yeah. couple corners, but that's a good defense. Built to be good, yeah. has dominant yeah. players up front you know, you get the corners healthy. The defense is what it's going to be. It's not that unless Quinn and Williams goes down and you know, you you lose sauce. And I mean, it's, it's built to be a good uh, unit. We don't have to, they're going to win some games defensively. I think yeah. if they're going to be in fan, a lot of games, they're going to be, be in a lot of games. for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And to me, I understand Jets fans are excited about Aaron Rodgers out there throwing passes. This this reminds me of I remember when Drew Brees went down and Teddy Bridgewater stepped in, and you know it was like how long's Drew going to be out and the the crowds chanting Teddy and he's rolling up wins with the Saints and it's like hey they're going to be fine and the next thing you know Drew's on his Instagram throwing footballs and like you're like Drew's <laughs> trying to remind everybody like yo I'm coming yeah. back all right like I'm not like don't forget about me like I know you chanting Teddy's name but I'm the guy. I think there's a little bit of that in Rogers, you know, like he's letting people see him go from each stage of this. He's going and Mm -hmm. talking about it on his platform that we all know about that he, you know, every Tuesday and, Mm -hmm. and then he gets out there and he throws. Now, if he's able to pull that off, I I don't, I, to me, seems like a medical miracle. Okay. That's amazing. And and it's going to be fascinating, but I still that think would, that Jets would be
4: in, that would be in less time than Cam Akers came back. Cam was, Akers is yeah. the one that comes. From, yeah, like that was the one that's yeah, like, no, wow, this dude
3: came back from Achilles. This is less. Yeah, this is no, this is it would be. I mean, just, unprecedented. I, I, I can't believe it, it's even a possibility. But like you said, he's out there throwing. I think if you're a Jets fan, though, what you should be happier about is at least until that potentially becomes a reality of Rodgers, what you really should be happy about and invested in right now, go back and watch that game. Zach Wilson gets sacked five times. Got beat up in that game. They let him throw it. I want to say thirty-three times. I think he had nineteen completions off the top of my head. Didn't crack he two hundred. Garrett Wilson. But that's was, that's my made, thing. Like he, yeah. he had comfort moments in that game where yeah. you're like, yeah. huh? Like he just did yeah. a thing that yeah. <laughs> seemed pretty natural. Yeah. Like just like a pretty yeah. natural. Like like not didn't feel like he was caving in. Didn't feel like it was too big. He, had, he hadn't been great, but he did a couple of things where I'm like, that's a little more comfortable than I remember this guy being. And it was just like the Kansas City game, right? Where you're like, whoa, you see him put a drive together and you're like, okay, that's a little bit of new information. Like, is, is this mm-hmm. sort of the direction? So I wonder in my mind, I'm like, is Zach Wilson starting to get comfortable enough to just be a middle-of-the-road quarterback, which, by the way, would be huge. That would be great for them if they right, could just right. get him to be a... Solid middle of the road quarterback who's comfortable functional. out there, functional, yeah. not turning the ball over a ton, using his legs at times. And part of me wonders too if mentally, when I talk to people with the Jets about Rodgers and even post injury, it was like he is the things that he imparts on Zach is just repetitively do the same things right over and over and over don't let yourself go into mental hole and eventually it will just start to feel natural doing things right over and over and then when you fail you won't think oh my god i'm a failure and now it's all gonna fail you'll just get up go man i fucked that up and you'll move on and you'll you know you'll get back to being repetitive in in small successful things it's never been a tools thing with zach we've always known that it's always been a mental thing with Zach. And I do think that Aaron Rodgers has helped that considerably. If they can run the football, okay, and take some pressure off that offensive line. If they don't have to have Zach throw it 40 times a game, 30 might be too much, let's be honest. Um, I think they might be able to stay afloat long enough to see if maybe Rodgers coming back becomes viable. Mike, teams Mike, always Mike, talking. Mike, 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 what would you do though? Yep. Let me ask you this. What if Rod, what if what if Zach gets into a decent group going and gets it going a little bit. And then yep. all of a sudden we're looking at and like we're approaching January and it's like, Hey, Rogers might be able to come back. What would you do in that scenario with the, I mean, you still got to sit one. Zach, right? Like,
4: yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Got like
3: that's not a, okay. th- like,
4: well, a couple okay. of things. One, thankfully, because I thought it was always like, it was ignorant and short sighted. Um, and it was people just throwing shit out there to see what sticks, but like, well, maybe I, you tell me. You would know better than me. Um, I, the Kirk Cousins stuff that immediately started after Rodgers got hurt and the Vikings got that was never going to happen. Okay, never, like you never. know, right. But now we. Can, I think, hey, they can win this way. They got a formula. You know, shout out to the D.O.C. They don't need to go and make a splash trade for a quarterback mid-season. So that's one thing. Two, yeah, absolutely. If Rodgers is able to come back, if he works hard enough to get himself back, this isn't Brady Bledsoe. Like, I don't care if they're rolling, if they make the playoffs with Zach Wilson. Hey, you know, it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, but it could be upgraded. You you got Aaron Rodgers for that reason. But you know you at least have a backup if for some reason Rodgers isn't getting it done or, you know, he's rusty or, God forbid, gets hurt again. It's a, it's a first-world problem to have. Like the, the Jets should just hope they get to a point where that's actually a decision that yep. has to be made. If they, if they get to a point where they have to consider whether or not to sit Zach Wilson for a healthy Aaron Rodgers, that means a lot of, a lot of things uh, broke right for them. But I mean, more than anything, I would say like this past game, there are a lot of times teams be like, Oh, we just play whoever's in front of us. Like, you know, everybody, they get paid to the records don't matter. So, you know, and, oh, and another one. There are no moral victories. So okay, you hung tough in the second half with Kansas City. He had his best game. You beat Denver, which the bottom seems to be falling out in Denver. Maybe they maybe they won't say it. They won't admit it publicly. Or maybe they have. For all I know, I haven't read everything that came out of the Jets locker room yesterday. There's got to be some different level of satisfaction, as the kids say. This hit different. You beat the Eagles. So like. You know, Robert Sala saying, believe, believe. Aaron Rodgers saying, don't point fingers, stick together. It's like, oh, okay, we hung up with Kansas City. That's nice. We beat Denver. Okay, cool. It's like, you beat Philly? That hit different going into a bye week. And the Jets now can say, including Zach Wilson, wait a second. We can do this?
3: (laughs) You know? Yeah, we can do this. We we just beat the NFC champions. And not only that, you did it in a way where you you made Jalen Hurts throw it 45 times. Like you know, mm-hmm. you you made you took a guy who's absolutely not a one dimensional player, and I know he's I think he still had like forty, almost fifty running rushing yards, but you yeah. took a team and you did make them one dimensional. Wasn't a big running game for them; they had to throw it. And it, and again, yeah. it wasn't like it was a game that was completely out of hand or anything. You know, you had an ability to to still try to put your foot in the ground and establish a run game. And instead, what they did was they looked at Jalen Hurts and they said, "All right, we're going to." can find you as much as we can in the pocket and we're gonna make you throw as much as we can and we're gonna hope that we can throw you know force you into mistakes whether it's tip passes whether it's you don't see somebody coming underneath whatever it is and from a coaching standpoint it's impressive because you you took a yes. really good team an elite level team and you took an elite level quarterback and you said we're we're gonna turn him into X and then we're gonna see what happens. And they turned him into X. He became a throwing quarterback I don't think, you know, if, to me, Philly's top end is not watching Jalen Hurts throw it 45 times, you know, it's being right. able to run and establish, you know, roll up 150 yards running, you know, and then Jalen Hurts can, can do all that other stuff on top. So, uh, it, it, it was impressive. And I think, you know, from a coaching standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, what they did has got to be another one that, that, that hits different too.
4: Yeah. Hey, uh, we're at the top of the hour. It's two o'clock here. Um, do you have uh some more time? Because I want to bring in some company. Given what you wrote for Yahoo, um, yeah. and given what she's been writing and, and her expertise, I think Shalice would be a great person to add to the conversation, Charles. Um yeah. to talk about the Patriots. Uh once upon a time they were a laughing stock back in the Sullivan Stadium days. <laughs> um, now, whew, it's been a long time since they've been this bad. So uh, yeah, so stand by. We're gonna bring in Shalice and uh talk Patriots. Uh, Shalice, you and I go back to the front row uh, at Patriots press conferences back in the day. Um, you've covered this team uh, through its entire dynasty, uh, through the departure of Tom Brady. Uh, I don't know. As bad as it's been in the last couple of years, it was relatively bad. I don't know that we could have anticipated, or maybe we could have. Maybe maybe the writing was on the wall, or maybe people like you saw this coming. The bottom falling out the way that it has to one in five and quite possibly with the Bills and Dolphins, I believe, coming up one in seven. Um, How did it get this bad this quickly, Shalice, in New England?
5: You know, it's funny you you mentioned the last couple of years I grew up here. Um, So, like, my very first sporting memory was Super Bowl twenty and going to my uncle's house for, for a Super Bowl party, because that was like the high watermark of the Patriots uh, for that Super Bowl against the Chicago Bears. And then, you know, Parcells and Bledsoe, and, and things start going on the upswing, and then Belichick and Tom Brady, and, you know, Patriots fans who are like 30 years old, they have no idea what's happening right now. They, they're just, their whole world is just off. It, it, It's You have to point it back to Bill. There is no one else to blame for this situation but Bill Belichick. He is the GM. He's the head coach. He surrounded himself on the personnel side and on the coaching rooms with his friends or the sons of his friends or his own sons. He you know, to borrow the line from Bill Parcells, he picks the groceries, he cooks the meal, he hires the waiters and and servers. You know, it's it's all on him. So if the meal sucks, there's no one to point to but him. And right now, it's it's just terrible.
4: Yeah, she... Mistakes you know, it, historic Patriots' futility and a smashed <laughs> tablet. Bill Belichick is coaching his anti-masterpiece. That's Charles on Yahoo from this morning.
3: Yeah, I don't... You know, Shalice hits exactly perfectly what the overriding problem is that i i talked to someone who used to work there in the front office and it was moved on and uh is in another franchise and i was you know we're kind of going over this thing with craft and you know shalice hits on it this guy said to me he was like you realize it's not just getting rid of bill right (laughs) he's like you are getting rid of fundamentally a religion. And everyone who was part of that religion in the building. Mm. He was like, you know And that's what Shalice wrote about last week. Problem. Like, yeah, this is, this, this is, is a house cleaning, yeah. if anything. This is yeah. the the most cleaningest of cleanings. Like I mean, you're talking <laughs> like, you know, right. front office, coaching staff, like, you know, there's maybe bizops people the little mm-hmm. secret agency has right. running around the building like every all this everything I mean, short it, of relocating yeah, and renaming yeah. the team would probably yeah. need to be changed Look, in other like words. like you know maybe there's like a parking attendant who would have to be fired like, <laughs> I mean, like, a, like who knows how bad this but you know shalice she hits it i mean the general manager is going to get the coach fired and or however it's going to end up and you know she said it he's made this it, what he is a, the the a creator who hates his creation but it's his creation yeah. now he's a and, prisoner and the, of
5: it you just he can't you can't like i've seen some people you know some patriots fans or you know say well would robert Kraft go to him and say you know you can be the head coach but we need a, we need somebody else as that a GM. Work. Bill's not going to allow that. that. Bill work. would no. never no. ever you're ever, too, too ever that. allow that. <laughs> no. He would never no. his you know his age, his ego, the whole he would just never allow. And the thing of it is is the roster hasn't been great for a, a, a while. Like mm. for whatever mm. reason he, Bill cannot draft and develop a young receiver. Like you could tell him his grandchild's life is at stake and he cannot draft and develop wide receivers. He just can't do it. So, you know, Tom Brady, I think I called him the most telegenic aid ever. Like I knew he was great, but we're seeing now exactly how phenomenal he was that he covered up for so many mistakes that Belichick, the GM has made over the years.
3: Don't you think too, um, you know, you talk about both of you about like, he's not going to take craft meddling, right? Is that's kind of a, that's like the, wouldn't that be the plan? Like, don't you think, like, it's like when Shula, when Wayne Haizenga went to to Don Shula behind the scenes and was like, got to make co- changes to your coaching staff. And Shula was like, not going to do it. And Haizenga's yeah. like, well, this is where we're at. And Shula's like, I'm retiring. I'm done. I'm yeah. stepping down. Like, I, I almost yeah. think like, that's the best case scenario for craft is to be like, you need a GM. I'm gonna point out these right. things that Shalice said. You can't draft wide receivers. You know, right. I'll let's pull up a couple of Shalice columns and we're gonna <laughs> you tell need, you <laughs> all these you things. A, and you need and specifically, you need a GM
4: that you didn't train, that doesn't think like you, right. that right. didn't come up right. in your system. Like the problem mm-hmm. that Shalise points out in her in her Yahoo column is like everybody there has only done it one way and that's the patriot way and now absent tom brady charles he belichick now looks a lot like the assistants that he used to dominate they used to go other places and fall on their face larger because they didn't have tom brady
3: yeah we we would we would always kind of that was the joke right like oh they left the nest they left bill and tom no they just left tom it turns out like it wasn't just leaving bill it was they left tom and and now tom left bill and Thomas turned into Josh McDaniels in Denver or Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame or wherever, whatever you, however, he, he's, he's back to being Cleveland, Bill. And I know, you know, there are people who are still like, well, Cleveland was good under Bill and they could have done this. or they could have done yeah. that. Look no, it's yeah. no, it
4: yeah. a whole
3: different, you know, Shalice, uh, the thing that Shalice mentions too, that I don't think gets talked about enough is like, this didn't just happen now. No. It's been a problem for a while. And like Shelly said, it got covered up by either Tom or it got covered up by, okay, well, it's the first year out from Tom, but they have Mac now. And, uh, you know, it was always, there was some confluence of circumstance that we're like, all right, they'll get there. They're getting, You know, and I thought at times where I was like, hey, they're going to be up and running again. Look, they went and got Mac Jones. He looks viable and all these different things. But then Bill did his Bill thing. He had to do the Matt Patricia thing. That he was awful. It. And and I, I don't think it's – it undermined maybe the one thing that I think could have helped to solve this at the quarterback spot, although now I guess we can question whether or not Mac really does have it at all. But it, it did undermine the one chip he still had. Now he doesn't have that chip and everything else is falling apart and the roster looks how it looks. And it's just there's there's nobody coming in to save this now.
5: The thing that gets but me, Charlize though, is... Mac- oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, but... the Sorry, but one thing that I have noticed and that I keep going back to, it's not just the lack of talent. They're making stupid mistakes that you would have never seen from them the in safety. the past. Like, yeah. look at yesterday. Yep. You know, you have a little more than two minutes. You only need a field goal to win the game. They get called for a holding. They get called for a delay of game. And then Mac Jones is... You know, takes the sack in the end zone, it's a safety. They did the same thing in week one. I was at the game when they opened with the Eagles. Late in the fourth quarter, they have a chance to to pull closer or take the lead. They take a stupid delay of game penalty. Like they keep Mm. making, and that's the thing. Again, it's it's a roster bereft of talent. So who knows? But the mistakes that they are making are just jaw-dropping when you have been around Belichick the way that we have or seen him or listened to him over the years. And, you know, Charles mentioned Patricia. Michael, you and I sat there and listened to Bill Belichick. What was the the biggest thing he said with young players? The time in between year one and year two was critical to their development. And what did he do with their first round quarterback? He gave them Tweedledee and Tweedledum as his offensive coordinator.
3: (laughs) Mention Tweedledum by name. Say his name. (laughs)
5: <laughs> Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Joe Judge.
4: <laughs> well, because but the but the other part of it is like it's not just the the errors, the mistakes, the undisciplined play, um how sloppy they could be. Like Belichick was always on the cutting edge of of, of coaching, decision making, um, you know, Whereas now, maybe the highlight of this year was the run and start on the field goal block. All right, That was cool. We had never seen that before. But who punts, going back to the Dallas game, uh, who punts down, I'm sorry, the Saints game, not the Dallas game. Who punts down 24-0 from the opposing 40 on fourth and three? You know, it's just stuff like that. It's like, 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 yo, who is this guy? Like, who even, how did the kids say, who even are you? I don't even know <laughs> this Bill Belichick because he's getting out coached. They're out, they're outmatched and out coached. And you would have never thought Bill Belichick would have gotten out coached. And the other thing, Shalice, I think people need to understand uh, the the people who still subscribe to "in Bill we trust." The speculation about Bill Belichick being fired after this season, and we'll get to after or during in a second. Um, with both of you guys, but the speculation about Bill Belichick's job security is not just uh, impatient, spoiled fans or media. It's not bitter media who are uh, experiencing some satisfaction in the form of schadenfreude for all the years that he made media's life miserable. This is coming from the fact that Robert Kraft said, yo, it's important that we make the playoffs this year. This is coming Mm -hmm. from this little subtle back and forth about spending and, and salary cap, and cash over cap, and how much the organization is actually spent that goes back and forth publicly between Belichick and, and and Robert Kraft. This is, again, the unforgivable sin of having a defensive coach and a special team coach coaching offense last year. This is not coming out of nowhere, and this is not uh, just only on the outside, Shalise. There's a lot of internal tension, is there not?
5: I would have to – I don't know 100%, um, but I would have to imagine that there is. And Robert Kraft has said it for two or three off-seasons running now. You know, this is unacceptable. We are about winning. And there was a story in The Athletic last week from Jeff Howe, and he said, you know, Robert Kraft is not above letting it go. It would be wonderful and nice to see Bill Belichick get – you know, break Don Shula's record – While coaching the Patriots, but at this rate, that wouldn't happen for four, two, three, four years. So, you know, and and it almost seems like it's becoming more about Bill and his pursuit of that record, and not just putting together the best possible team. You're at a point now where you have Teddy bruski and Julian Edelman, who are as devoted foot soldiers as of Bill Belichick's of you can find, and they're publicly, you know questioning Bill's decisions and questioning what's going on with the team. It's, it's bad, you know, and fan forums are a small but vocal number of people, but you look at comments on Patriot stories, you listen to sports radio around here. If, if you want to punish yourself by doing so um, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, there are a lot of people saying it, it, the time is over. And and I think there's a tremendous amount of appreciation because obviously Yes, a lot of it was Tom Brady, but let's not forget they. the second time they played the Giants in the Super Bowl, statistically, that was the worst passing defense in the history of the NFL to that point, and he still got them to the Super Bowl. So he's a great coach, and nobody would ever take away from him that he's not a great coach. But has the time run its course here in New England? Yes.
4: Feels that way. Yeah. Charles, this is what you wrote. I'm going to read from your column today. Uh, this is how bleak this has gotten. With the debate about the franchise deteriorating from should they move on from Belichick next offseason to should they even wait that long? That's an absurd discussion, of course. Belichick isn't going anywhere before the 23 season is in the books, and given the line of credit earned with six Super Bowl wins, maybe not even after, regardless of how bad this gets. So you still feel like there's a a strong chance, given his resume, and given what he's brought to this franchise, that he survives a season or survives uh, going through a season that looks like it's going to get better before it gets worse or gets worse before th- it gets better. I beg your pardon.
3: Yeah. I th- I think if Bill wants it, if Bill wants to stay, see, here's the thing. He did move off of Patricia. He knew he had to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like the, he heard what Kraft was saying. He understood the mistake. He's not been great at admitting mistakes, but he showed the ability to go. That didn't work. And I know that the owner's not going to have me do this again. Now, granted, he did go, as Shilly said, she went and got somebody inside the religion. It's the same thought process. And, you know, maybe that's a mistake. Maybe it's not. But I do think that, A, it showcased his ability to make a change that did appease Kraft in some respect. But then I think, B, I think Bill and Kraft, Robert Kraft, still have enough of a relationship for Bill to sit down and go, I do have a plan. Here's the plan. Okay. Here's the pick we have. Here's the quarterbacks that we have available in the draft. I, you know, that Mac did some things behind the scenes that I did not like that made me uncomfortable. He was reaching out to people outside of the organization when he needed to trust us that didn't sit well with me. You knew I was pissed off about that. And here is why Mac didn't work out. I, I think he still has the ability to affect, you know what, what did Greg Popovich say? Participate in your own resurrection. That's like I still think he has the ability to do that with Robert Kraft. And I, you know, I think Kraft isn't stupid. He doesn't want to turn this into a horrible like end here. He doesn't want to turn it into um a shit show. And mm-hmm. it could. There's an ability for that to happen. If Bill wants it to be a shit show, it can be a shit show. And to speak a little bit to like internally what's going on there i'm with I'm yeah. Like i don't it's the iron curtains the iron curtain it's hard to get behind there but i did have i remember um i was in the preseason uh and in camp you know making calls and talking to some people and there was an ex patriots guy i'm talking to and he said hey man he's like i'm gonna send you a clip of matt grow who's the head of player personnel there he said i'm gonna send you a clip of him talking to reporters he said i've never ever heard anything like this come out of the patriots organization i'm like whoa okay sends it to me i listen he goes what did you hear i was like i heard a guy talking like he was the general manager of the team like two reporters like like what what is going on he was like i don't know what's going on but i was in there for a while and i never saw that happen before and he he right away in the preseason he was like the Patricia change and then this happening, this guy speaking to reporters in the fashion that he did. So maybe he's the like, hierarchy is not quite what make, we think. He was like, it makes me feel like there's some stuff going on that we're not necessarily okay. privy to and maybe it comes out in the next book. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, cause
4: because I was gonna say like, it feels like, I guess the, the, the big question is just how frustrated is Kraft? Like does Kraft still trust in Bill? Because if Kraft is over Bill, there I don't think there's a middle ground. Now maybe, now maybe what you just laid out, Charles, maybe the middle ground has already been found and we just haven't seen the results of it yet, or the or the results haven't been great yet. But maybe they have come to some kind of understanding about how Bill is gonna operate, you know, from a personnel standpoint. But given what we all think we know about Bill and Shalice, we talked about earlier, like Bill would never go for, yeah, you could be the coach but not the GM. It's like it feels like the only change is wholesale change. Because it's like, hey, we're going to bring in a GM that Bill, of course, is going to have say in who that is and influence over that person. To say nothing of the fact that does that person want the job knowing that he's got to work with Bill Belichick. You know what I mean? And and there's not not a pre-existing partnership. To say nothing of the fact of do you want to just bring in more Bill guys, whether they all have different job titles or whatever, the problem is – they are too much of a monolith in that place. Like we talked about, not enough guys with outside perspectives, different experiences, different ways of doing things, so on and so forth. But the main thing I wanted to say, Shalise, was I just wonder how much the Brady departure, to Charles's point about this potentially being a shit show, how much did the Brady departure set the table for Bill's departure? Because t- two things on that. One, if Bill Belichick, the GM, were evaluating Bill Belichick, the coach, Or if Bill Belichick, just the, you know, I would say he's the most unsentimental um, coach or or personnel evaluator ever, that I could recall. If Bill Belichick's looking at the job that Bill Belichick, the GM or coach, has not done lately, Bill Belichick would have been fired him a year early Mm -hmm. rather than a year too late. He'd have been fired both of them. Regardless of how many rings you, 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 you put on Robert Kraft's finger, regardless how many banners you hung up. Bill Belichick, we saw with Tom Brady. It didn't matter what Brady had done uh, throughout his career. It didn't matter how much, how much of an affection he had for Tom Brady. What was best for the team at that moment, they thought, was to move on from Tom Brady, let him walk in free agency, okay? So I wonder, Shalice, to Charles's point about this being a shit show, how much worse could it be from letting Tom Brady go? He let his son go. He let his adopted son go in Tom Brady and has lived to tell about it, watched him win a Super Bowl somewhere else. How bad could it be letting Bill Belichick go after a two or three or maybe four-win season?
5: It's true. I mean, Robert Kraft moved on from Tom Brady. And obviously, you know, if what we've seen – in the not so distant past is any indication. Robert Kraft was not a huge fan of letting go of Tom Brady. You know, at the season opener at home, they welcomed Tom. Tom came on the field. There were dozens of former Patriots from the Brady era there. They're gonna completely waive the three or four year waiting period for the team hall of fame. They're gonna have this massive thing on 6-12-24 next summer in the stadium. Now, normally the Patriots do the hall of fame induction in the plaza outside the team hall of fame for those who who aren't aware. They're going to open Gillette stadium, which of course there's profit to be made here, but they're opening Mm -hmm. Gillette stadium to have the Tom Brady team hall of fame induction ceremony next June. So. Could you let go of of Bill Belichick? I'm sure you could let go of Bill Belichick if because the other one, the other thing I don't quite understand is like, where's Jonathan Kraft in all of this? He is supposed to have a little bit more influence over yeah. this team. He has to see that it's just you're going to have to take a big step back in order to take steps forward. And it seems like Robert is a big fan of Gerard Mayo, who is, mm-hmm only listed as linebackers coach, but to hear a lot of people tell it does a lot He's of the, the defensive game planning. Um, yeah. But yet Bill's son gets to where the headset I, it's absurd. Um, but, you know, if, if they let him go, does Gerard get his chance to be head coach? Was that part of the agreement when they re-signed him earlier this year that, you know, whether it's a year from now, three years from now, whatever, when Bill steps down that Gerard becomes the new head coach, um, There's a lot of moving parts, but, you know, if Robert Kraft loves this team the way it seems like he loves this team, I just think it's time for a fresh start and it's going to be painful for a couple of years. It is because, you know, as we said, the cupboard's going to be bare. The roster's not great. The coaching staff in the front office might be depleted, but, you know, it's, we're getting into the territory now of when I was a kid that they were just an afterthought.
3: Don't don't you both think, though, um, part of what aided it not becoming a shit show with Tom Brady was Robert Kraft wanting to keep Brady and Tom going, no, I want to go. It's time for me to move on. What if Bill doesn't say I want to go? It's time for me to move on. Like to me, that's the that's sort of the the potential so th- theme here that can be pulled th- yeah, apart if I, bill bill sure. doesn't say i want to go then it's if if tom had said i don't want to go you know i want to continue playing for bill belichick he didn't if he had said that though i want to stay here i want to play for bill and and bill for some reason wanted him to go then it becomes a big issue it's just, it's if robert Kraft wants this bill to go difference. and bill doesn't want to go that's I think where you're introduced, like but, this I, can but I think the difference is ugly. but I think the difference is so again,
4: this fan base has been conditioned by Bill Belichick to not attach sentiment, whether it's Lawyer Malloy, whether it's Richard Seymour, whether it's Drew Bledsoe, yeah. the whether well, the list goes on and on. So this fan base has been trained to say, What have you done for me lately? That's number one. Number two, the difference is Brady, and you're right. There seemed to be more of an amical or mutual, you know, departure there. Brady was coming off a play, uh, still making the playoffs. He, he, they thought he was in decline, but he still made the playoffs. He never lost. Belichick is not going to have a, a, a recent body of work absent Tom Brady to stand on when it comes to public sentiment. Like, well, he don't want to go. Well, too bad. Just went four and thirteen. You got, you know, right. it's you know, you do your job. You're not doing a good job. And last but not least. Belichick not wanting to go Charles because if it comes out that Kraft is trying to make changes for the good of the team and Belichick is resistant to those changes, I think it flies differently in the court of public opinion because even Brady's departure, regardless of what those particulars were, which you would know about Brady wanting to go as much as they wanted him to leave, it still was viewed as bad move by the Patriots, letting go of a guy who turns around and wins a Super Bowl, whereas Shalice. I I don't think it, would. I don't, right, you tell me, you you live there, you're close to it, how upset would Patriot Nation be at this moment if Belichick, maybe maybe not in season, because he probably does deserve, we should put that out there, probably does deserve to at least finish the season. But if, if this season continues along this path, if he's fired after the season, how bad do you think the majority of Patriots fans actually feel?
5: I don't think many people would be upset if it came to that. You know, I, like I said, I think a lot of fans, particularly older fans, people who, you know, lived through the the days of Steve Grogan, Sullivan and Stadium, Rod <laughs> Rust yeah. and Sullivan Stadium and Victor Kayam, yeah. that disastrous ownership oh tenure. <laughs> um, they have an appreciation and they understand that what Bill Belichick brought them is unprecedented, that the run of success that they had was just unprecedented with Bill and, and Tom. So I think a lot of people would, you know, say, thank you so much for everything you've done, but we think it's time to move on. And I don't think that they're wrong for saying that. And you know, the other thing, Michael, that I think about occasionally. Bill always used to say he could never see himself being like Marv Levy and coaching past like 70 years old. He's going to be 72 in April. Yeah. So it's weird to me, like, and I guess now that the Don Shula thing is in sight, Don Shula is not a fan of Bill Belichick. Bill has so much. No, he was not. (laughs) No, he was not. And, and the (laughs) one thing that Bill, loves more than anything is the history yeah. of this game. So yeah. if yeah. Bill could supplant Don Shula, I am sure he's going to want to do that. The The thing that, and Charles, you can probably speak to this way better than I can. I wonder if there are any teams who would trade for him, you know, warts and all at this point, and And we've seen full circle. his record. His Yeah. His record without Tom Brady isn't great, but I'm sure somebody like, Oh, I don't know. Jimmy Haslam or, you know, whomever, might jump at the chance to trade for him because maybe three or four years with bill gets them on a track that they've and gets them to heights that they've, you know, a certain franchise has never experienced before. I think,
3: yeah, I, you know, I think they, what leads me to believe they would is because owners still call him for advice on hires. And you're going to tell me that if there are owners who are willing to go to him and go, who should I be hiring? You know, what do you think of these guys? You know, is likely going to be an owner that's going to go yeah you know what things went bad there you know he needed you oh, know, and some other
4: fan base will definitely throw him a parade mm-hmm. on arrival. sure sure
3: oh yeah and i mean like you know there's there's enough beaten down fan bases out there that yeah you could do worse than than let's see if bill belichick has got any juice left and sell the storyline of like you know he, it's a fresh change and it's recharged his batteries now he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's going to show everybody that he you know isn't isn't used up I, Shalice, though uh, the one thing i wonder when you talk about um sort of him being there and what the plan was past 70. i mean you bring it up the nepotism like i wonder yeah. and i think you and i've you and i've talked about this like how much of the plan was to make sure his kids were set up in the franchise They had a it was always like he wants them to have a quarterback. He wants them to be on a winning track. He wants to have a succession plan for a head coach and the knowledge that his sons are going to still have prominent positions in the organization. I don't know if that's changed, but don't I mean, like, at do you wonder if maybe like like a bill goes. Well, his kids aren't going to have jobs. Like, I don't feel like they're going to.
5: I mean, but if, if, if Bill were to go to another team, I'm sure as a well, yeah. condition, yeah. <laughs> he would want Brian <laughs> yes, and Steven to, to come with him. Sure. Um, yeah, that whole, I have many, many thoughts about having his sons on staff after listening to him for so many years, talk about earning it and um, mm. all that kind of stuff. <laughs>
3: Shalise, do you think I, I wonder about this too? Shula, we all know like Shula was not a fan. We all know that Shula had his issues with him. Major. Do you think that Bill, part of wanting to erase Shula's name at the top there, might have something to do with somebody who he knows was not complimentary of him, I was would was not
5: flattered? I would put money on that. I would put money on that. He had, you know, you can all you could always tell you know, during during the the big glory years when they were just steamrolling people. Like, I think it was 2007 that I think Washington came into Gillette and the Patriots beat them like oh, 52 to three. And he just, yeah. they just kept braiding. Then it come out of the game. They just kept, they did nothing to take their foot off the gas. And it was like, you knew that He just there was something personal there. It was like tell other times where he wouldn't you know if they were up by however many points three touchdowns he was content. Well, he pull Brady and they'd be good.
3: His his like the I would argue the biggest thing that will always stick in him forever the sliver he'll never be able to remove is the Spygate shit right. Mm -hmm. And I think it pisses him off and it will always piss him off that Don Shula was a prominent voice about how he felt mm. about mm. all that stuff happening and what it meant about the Patriots' success. Yeah. And, you know, we know there's supposed to be this code or whatever, and old guys all like a code. <laughs> there's no code there. And I'm sure that yeah. this the Spygate thing, I think so, he will always keep receipts
4: from that forever. Well, and, and not just that. Some people will always keep it in their back of their minds when it comes to his legacy. So... Let me, let me, let me, I'm going to end this conversation with something that's probably a whole other conversation. So I hesitate to do it, but I, but y'all got me thinking here. So even if he doesn't pass Shula, many would consider him still the greatest coach of all time. I mean, he's had that title even before he even got close to 347, right? So I don't think he needs to pass Shula to have that title yes it'd be nice but it's like it's almost like LeBron passing Kareem in, in career points like LeBron was already in the conversation for greatest of all time um having said that though this one in five start has reopened and remixed the conversation about was it Brady or was it Belichick And Shalisha you talked about it earlier about how we maybe we underestimated just how great the greatest actually was so what I'm wondering guys Shalice, I'll start with you here, and I'm not trying to be a prisoner of the moment. I'm not trying to take anything away from what he's done, and he's still. But is there at least more of a conversation when you think about? Because you mentioned Washington, I thought of Joe Gibbs. You think of Joe Gibbs, you think of Tom Landry, you think of Paul Brown. You think of guys who literally innovated and revolutionized the way the game is played. It's like, is there more of a conversation now? You know, they needed, Belichick and Brady, they needed each other. I'm not going to say either or. It was that partnership needed, they needed each other to thrive. But is there more of a conversation, Shalise, around the greatest coach of all time? uh, Or is he just, like every other coach, just going through a rough stretch toward the end? It's got to, everything ends badly, otherwise it wouldn't end. Or do you look at, Bill, a little funnier in this particular light of one in five?
5: So, initially I was as you were talking, I was thinking, maybe we have to reopen the conversation. But then if we consider that all of the players that Bill has coached over this time period were players that he brought in himself and that they were able to have so much success with players who were mediocre. Yeah. You know, we we in saw a lot of guys. Era. Yeah, in the salary cap order, we saw a lot of the guys that he drafted and had success with them go elsewhere and not really be as good. Um, Richard Seymour is one of the few who, you know, went elsewhere and, and still was fantastic. Asante Samuel comes to mind. But there really weren't too many guys who left New England and had, tre- you know, tremendous success. So I guess if we look at he drafted the guys and they still, you know, a, a lot of them, the receivers have never been great except for those couple of years when they had Randy and Wes. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe he still is. Because he drafted these guys who weren't great and they still won six Super Bowls.
4: They won seven. You can never take that away, Charles. Like, I'm not saying he's not. Don't get me wrong. Just wonder if it's like more of a conversation than it has been really for the last decade or so when it was like ironclad, greatest of all time.
3: I mean, I think, you know, it's fine if it's a conversation, but I think Chalice presents the most compelling, the most compelling point. Like he built the system. He brought in the players. The fact that we yeah. we've talked about it would have to be like a studs down, you know, like go to the studs to rebuild this speaks to what he really did in that organization. And and I would point out too, um, you know, it, it's not like granted, they have been in a super, you know, they've been in a couple Super Bowls, there was the Parcells era, there was obviously the 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 Bears Super Bowl. Um, but it's not like it's a historically well-run organization it's not like it's a like you know like shalice brings up victor kyle and i'm like oh my god i forgot about that i'm like like, (laughs) that's right i remember that disaster like it's so you know he he did take a franchise he didn't just get them over the top like he made them unbeatable for decades and and i know tom obviously has a ton to do with that and i i I think some people subscribe to like you split those Super Bowls. The first three, like Bill had more to do with those Super Bowl wins, and the last three, Tom had more to do with those Super Bowl wins. Um so, and I'm I'm okay with that, you know, um, kind of interpretation of it. Um But yeah, I mean it's it's someone said to me when I was when I was working on a piece about like what was how, how was Kraft gonna approach this. Um, and we we got into sort of a philosophical conversation about Bill and Tom and he was like how come when people talk about shula they don't mention more that he did it with multiple different quarterbacks <laughs> like it wasn't like he had success over a sustained period of time and it wasn't like one quarterback was there the whole time. He did it with them. Joe Gibbs won a Super Bowl guys. with three different quarterbacks. Yeah, that just I mean, guys. that's what I mean. Like
4: yeah. we got Tom Landry changed
3: right. the game. Paul Brown the, is the, the conversation. Bill you know, right? <laughs> yeah, hence, yeah, yeah. Hence, yeah, Hence the conversation. But but yeah. Chalice makes a really good point too, though. He in a weird way kind of created the slot receiver, at least the way we look at it now, of being this like prolific po- uh, position. He, the rules committee changed the way defenders could, you know, approach receivers and uh, how often sure. they could put their hands on him. Like he did shape yeah, I don't the game. Mean, I don't or... want to
4: suggest he wasn't an innovator.
3: <laughs> he was an innovator
4: in his own right. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he, absolutely. And he, he,
5: he, he was, and that's the, and there were even some things that I think once Spygate happened, there were some things that would just never be like, I, he mentioned a decade ago about like putting chips in the ball. Yeah. Yep. And. Mm. Why is it so difficult to say what's a touchdown and what's not? Like, why can't we just put a chip in the ball and put like sensors in the pylons? And if the ball trips the sensors, then it's a touchdown. Like, he's not wrong. I And I think there are some things that the league, once he was considered, you know, the bad guy, they were just never going to listen to him on certain things. But, I, you know, I do think... There isn't one particular thing I think you can ascribe to him, but like the three-four defense, and then being multiple, and you know, in there, they started three-four in the early years of the dynasty, and then they switched more to a four-three. You know, as yeah. Charles said, the or just game
4: planning from week to week. That, yeah, that, I don't just, know and that not that was being not yeah. being
5: wedded to one yeah. thing. Yeah. There's something to me as a like a high school coach. It makes complete sense to me that you would play to the strengths of your players. But I've heard other coaches in the NFL talk, and some of them are just so wedded to this is how I do it. And it just seems so basic that I figure out what the player does best, and I play to his strengths, and we'll still try to develop some other stuff, but it's so basic. But not everybody understands that concept, clearly. I, I
3: remember, and this will always stick in my mind. I remember when I talked to Sean McVay after he lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, and I was talking to him the next mm-hmm. summer, and he said he knew he knew he had completely screwed up as soon as they started playing in the Super Bowl the way his like game plan. He was like. I thought he was going to do this and he did the exact opposite. Thought he was going to play his and, own like and, he did all and, year. And, yeah, he like, he did the talk <laughs> yeah. and he said any and then and then like we it was funny because McVay and I, we visited the conversation like a couple years later and he was like, I know how he figured it out, too. He went and found this one game like this is like one game buried yeah. that we where they that, that we had shown this and they had, you know, and he just took it from this one scenario and he rolled it into the Super Bowl and he's like, I just yeah. and I thought I was like, man, that's you know, it's See, it's we can bag on him and I, I got plenty of issues with Bill mm-hmm. and Bill's like a guy I've had a you know, I've had gotten a chance yeah. to know him a little bit and stuff and I know he doesn't read my stuff, he doesn't listen, to me, he doesn't like <laughs> that. But but he's he's there's there's a lot of layers there. Some of them are really good, some of them are not so good and yeah there's i'm gonna tell you what like this conversation
4: just got me like maybe he just deserves a chance to figure it out maybe if the, the, i know deserves got nothing to do with it but there is an argument i'm sure people watching listen to this being like yo he's won six Super Bowls. he ain't forget how to coach let him work through this stretch let him figure it out we will see if but he does he get that on. chance
5: the
4: last Didn't few years the, yeah.
5: Once, yeah once tom left you know you no, had yes. the year with no, him for sure. And then you drafted yeah. Mac, he's, you know, this isn't just this year. No, it's and year we're all like, oh, 100%. it's time to move on. I mean, this is year four post-Greedy.
4: Right. Four? And, and yeah. year four? Year
5: four? Oh, my God.
4: And And he's, <laughs> I and forgot he's, and and year he's not four. getting it done. He's not getting <laughs> he's it done. Getting I was going to say, if, if he does move on, I just hope he has a sense of humor about it. And he... Uh, gives us all a fax, an old school fax that says, I resign as HC of the NEP. <laughs> <laughs> Just, that, that's, what, that's what I would love to see. Still the greatest resignation in pro football history. My main man, Charles Robinson, my sister from another, Mr. Shalice Young. I appreciate y'all so much. I love y'all. Uh, thanks for the conversation. I'm sure we'll pick it up again as the season goes on. I, I don't think this story is as is, uh, is close to being over yet.